And to place your spirit within us, Lord, we are so grateful that we can be alive and forgiven and cleansed. And that's what we're here to celebrate this morning, Lord. And we pray that you would open our hearts to that. To hear what our pastor is going to preach. And Lord, that we would be set free from whatever bonds of sin and self and Satan may be in our lives, that we would be set free to live for you. We pray this because you're the living king. Jesus, it's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Oh, yeah. Great to see all of you today on this beautiful weekend. At least today is beautiful. Yesterday a little hot and humid, but today it's gorgeous, and uh, just glad you're here. And uh, here's a little trivial information for you. Zach was sharing with me yesterday that, yes, that yesterday was National Donut Day. Who, who knew that? <laughs> National Donut Day. So you were supposed to eat some donuts yesterday. And then obviously if you eat too many donuts, they now have today as National Take a Hike Day. <laughs> take a Hike Day. Now don't take a hike right now. Nobody takes a hike right now. Don't get up and leave. You can take your hike this afternoon, work off the added pounds from your donuts from yesterday. But nonetheless, we're glad you're here this morning, and uh, glad to have those of us, uh, those of you who are perhaps a guest, you're a first or second time guest with us. We just uh, really count it a joy. You've taken some time out of your, uh, ho not holiday, but your weekend schedule to worship with our church family. Our care team's here at the front, and as they make their way towards the back, we ask you just raise your hand. We won't embarrass you in any way, but we have a, a packet of information we'd like to give to you, and uh, just tells you a little bit about who we are as a church family. You'll find a communication card inside, and a pen, and uh, if you could be so kind as to fill that communication card out, and then at the end of the service is when we receive our morning offering. You can just drop that communication card into the offering plate, and we would really appreciate that. And again, just want to welcome all of you on this first day of the summer. Well, not quite summer yet. You know, summer's in a couple more weeks, but official summer break for the kids, right? Yeah, how many parents are already like, I wish school would start? It's only been out one week, and they're going crazy already. So, All right. curse. 
became a servant, chose to suffer, lifted up and cast from earth. I will sing of my Redeemer, lift my voice to praise my Lord, ransomed by His blood and mercy, I am His Take your Bible and stand with me, please. Turn it to the book of Judges and open to chapter 13. As Pastor Bruce starts a new series on Samson, man of strength, man of weakness, today's message, the man who had it all, will be reading Judges chapter 13. And in honor of Take a Hike Day, we'll take a hike through the whole chapter and read it. Chapter 13, verses 1 through 25, Judges 13. Again, the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. And the Lord delivered them into the hand of the Philistines for forty years. Now there was a certain man from Zorah of the family of the Danites, whose name was Manoah. And his wife was barren and had no children. And the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, Indeed now you are barren and have borne no children, but you shall conceive and bear a son. Now therefore, please be careful not to drink wine or similar drink, and not to eat anything unclean. For behold, you shall conceive and bear a son." And no razor shall come upon his head, for the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb. And he shall begin to deliver Israel out of the hand of the Philistines. So the woman came and told her husband, saying, A man of God came to me, and his countenance was like the countenance of the angel of God, very awesome. But I did not ask him where he was from, and he did not tell me his name. And he said to me, Behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. Now drink no wine or similar drink, nor eat anything unclean, for the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb to the day of his death. Then Manoah prayed to the Lord and said, O my Lord, please let the man of God whom you sent come to us again and teach us what we shall do for the child who will be born. And God listened to the voice of Manoah, and the angel of God came to the woman again as she was sitting in the field. But Manoah, her husband, was not with her. Then the woman ran in haste and told her husband and said to him, Look, The man who came to me the other day has just now appeared to me. So Manoah rose and followed his wife. When he came to the man, he said to him, Are you the man who spoke to this woman? And he said, I am. Manoah said, Now let your words come to pass. What will be the boy's rule of life and his work? 
So the angel of the Lord said to Manoah, Of all that I said to the woman, let her be careful. She may not eat anything that comes from the vine, nor may she drink wine or similar drink, nor eat anything unclean. All that I have commanded her, let her observe. Then Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, Please let us detain you, and we will prepare a young goat for you. And the angel of the Lord said to Manoah, Though you detain me, I will not eat your food. But if you offer a burnt offering, you must offer it to the Lord. For Manoah did not know he was an angel of the Lord. Then Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, What is your name, that when your words come to pass we may honor you? And the angel of the Lord said to him, Why do you ask my name, seeing it is wonderful? So Manoah took the young goat with the grain offering and offered it upon the rock to the Lord. And he did a wondrous thing while Manoah and his wife looked on. It happened as the flame went up toward heaven from the altar, the angel of the Lord ascended in the flame of the altar. When Manoah and his wife saw this, they fell on their faces to the ground. When the angel of the Lord appeared no more to Manoah and his wife, then Manoah knew that he was the angel of the Lord. And Manoah said to his wife, We shall surely die, because we have seen God. But his wife said to him, If the Lord had desired to kill us, he would not have accepted a burnt offering and a grain offering from our hands, nor would he have shown us all these things, nor would he have told us such things as these at this time. So the woman bore a son and called his name Samson. And the child grew, and the Lord blessed him. And the Spirit of the Lord began to move upon him at, at Mahena, Dan, between Zorah and Eshtel. Father, be with uh, Pastor Bruce this morning as he brings a message. Open our hearts and minds so we can learn from the life of Samson and just be closer to you uh, as a result of being here this morning. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, as Zach said, today we, uh, we want to begin a new series. A series on one of the perhaps best known heroes in all the Bible, and that is the, uh, the person in the life of Samson. His story, as you see, is found in the book, the Old Testament book of Judges, and uh, his story is told in four chapters here in Judges, and in those four chapters, the writer basically tells us about Samson's rise and then his fall. In fact, it's a story that is rich in human drama. It's full of love and sex. It's full of violence and revenge and strange twists of fate. In fact, what I like about the story of Samson is it kind of just jumps out of the pages of God's Word with a, a stunning relevance for us today. It's as if we're reading somebody who is living today almost. He's, he's like he's one of the great heroes of our culture reminding us perhaps of a professional athlete or a, a movie star who has thrilled us on the field or the screen and, and then is revealed later in the tabloids or the internet as being deeply flawed. Now, as I said, almost everyone knows something about Samson. How many of you have heard at least one story about Samson? Raise your hand. Yes, almost everybody here knows something about the life of Samson. After all, his feats are legendary. I mean, they're almost Hercules-like. Generations of children have marveled at Samson killing a lion with his bare hands. Or they have marveled at him defeating the Philistines with the jawbone of a donkey. And of course, most teenagers know about Samson's long hair and how Delilah, this beautiful woman, tricked the secret of his strength out of him. And most of us know the story of his tragic, heroic death as well. 
when he destroyed the Philistine temple with his eyes poked out, standing between the pillars of the temple, pushed them apart with his one last great heroic stand, and in the process killing 3,000 Philistines. All of this is in four chapters of Judges. I encourage you to take some time to read it. As we go through this series, we'll be in this series for approximately six weeks, maybe eight weeks or so, and uh, looking at the life of Samson. But if Samson's feats are legendary, then one thing is also true, and that is his flaws. His flaws are equally as big as his feats. In fact, his two greatest weaknesses were probably romance and revenge. In fact, his weakness for women often led him on the road to revenge. It seems as if, when you begin to read the life of Samson, he can never say no to a good-looking woman. A fact that repeatedly got him into trouble and eventually cost him his life, as you know the story of him and Delilah. But what's interesting, when you look, step back from the life of Samson, and you begin to look at his whole life, kind of the big picture of it, and what you begin to see in his life is really a bundle of contradictions. Let me give you an example. He was extremely gifted, but he was certainly not godly. He was strong on the outside. We know of his strength, his power, but he had no control on the inside. He was bold before men, and yet he was weak before women. He fought the Lord's battles by day, but he disobeyed the Lord's commandments by night. And what is most ironic at all of all is he is listed as a, quote, man of faith in the Hall of Fame chapter in Hebrews chapter 11. And yet he slept with a harlot. Go figure. How do you figure it? The truth of the matter is, though, there's a little bit of Samson in all of us. And if we would dig a little bit further into our lives, we'd probably have to admit there's a whole lot of Samson in most of us. And that's why we're going to take the summer, if you will, June and July, and discover some of the life lessons that we can glean, that we can kind of dig out of his life. Life lessons that can apply to you and I for today. As we study the life of Samson, we will learn much about our own culture We'll learn much about our own weaknesses, and above all, we will learn much about the God of grace, who despite all the failings of his servant, Samson, still used him to accomplish his divine purposes. Now, ironically, as we will see in the weeks to come, it is only at the end of his life, when he is rendered physically weak, that he exhibits real strength. And only when blinded by his enemies does he truly begin to see himself and to see his mission in life that God gave him and actually see his God for who God was. So what's the key to understanding the life of Samson? Well, if you're going to understand his life, the whole key is understanding the circumstances surrounding his life. If I can say it this way, the culture in which he was born into, the world in which he was born into, plays a lot in understanding who he is, why he did what he did. In fact, the opening words of Judges 13 serve as kind of a summary to the entire story of Samson. They provide kind of a backdrop to the life of of Samson. So there's two things I want us to learn here this morning, want to draw from in Judges 13. 
two circumstances surrounding his life. Number one is you need to understand about the Philistines. The Philistines were God's agents of oppression. You could even put the word dominance or intimidators. The Philistines were God's agents of oppression. Samson's story actually begins before he was even born. It begins during the time of the Judges, which is why his story is told in the book of Judges. It begins when Israel had no king. Basically, they had judges ruling over them. They're in a transition period, if you will, before you get to the book of Samuels. First and second Samuel, when King David comes on the scene. This is a time when Israel had no king, a time when the judges were ruling. But most importantly, it's a time when Israel was living under the oppression of the Philistines. You say, who are the Philistines? We've heard of them. Well, the Philistines settled along the eastern coast of the Mediterranean Sea in the area that we now call the Gaza Strip. They set up what is called the Pentapolis, which is nothing more than a conglomerate, an association of five different cities, three on the coast, two inland. But here's the big deal you need to understand about the Philistines. They possessed one major advantage over the Israelites, and that is iron. The Israelites had bronze, but the Philistines, Philistines had iron. And let me tell you, iron beats bronze any day of the week, every day of the week. So the squeeze was on, and the Philistines eventually came to a position of total dominance over the Israelites. In fact, they terrorized the Israelites for 40 years, which is why the Philistines were the hated enemy of Israel. But there's also something at work here. In fact, there's a greater reason at work than just iron as to why the Philistines dominated the Israelites. God was using the Philistines as his agents of oppression in the lives of his people. And you say, well, why would God do that? doesn't seem like a very nice God to do that, to send an enemy to dominate them, to be their intimidators over his chosen people. What would cause that? Why would God do that? Well, that brings us to a couple of observations here. Notice it with me. First of all, it's because of Israel's sin. Because of Israel's sin, they were delivered into the hands of the Philistines. Notice what it says again in Judges chapter 13, verse 1. It says, again, the children of Israel did what? Did evil in the sight of who? Yeah, the Lord. And what did the Lord do? He delivered them into the hand of the Philistines for 40 years. Now, I don't know about you, but when I sat at my desk and began to study this, the very first word of Judges 13.1 just jumps out of the pages. It jumps out like a sore thumb. You can't help but, but notice it. And that first word is what? Again. 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 God wants us to understand something here. This isn't a one-time incident. This isn't an isolation occurrence in the history of Israel. You go back to Judges chapter 1 and begin to read the whole book of Judges, and this is their whole story. It was a cycle of sin. It was a cycle of doing evil in the sight of the Lord. God would discipline them, they would repent, and he would then, you know, take away the enemy or whatever, and then they would just cycle through. 
And here we see it again. The use of this word reminds us that God is constantly dealing with a fallen creation that has a huge bias towards sin. After all, we all have sinned and done what? Fall short of the glory of God. Now, the sinful life of Samson is not an isolated occurrence, as I said already in the history of the nation of Israel. And nor is he a uniquely sinful individual. Sadly, this is the norm, not the exception throughout the whole book of Judges. And sadly, this is the norm, not the exception throughout much of our lives as well. That's why we can identify with Samson. We can, you know, we, we read a lot of the other stories in the Bible. Men like David, men like Abraham, Moses, and, and we be, kind of classify them in a different level. They're kind of the, the super saints, and we could never be like them. I mean, after all, you know, Moses came face to face with God. David is known as the man after God's own heart. Abraham, the, known as the friend of God. And we would never think of ourselves like that. We, we read about Samson and his flaws and his sin, and, and, and we're like, oh, I can identify with this guy. I mean, after all, most men know what it's like to be tempted by women. Most of us struggle with the desire for revenge. And so when we see Samson's flaws, when we see him rise and then fall and stumble and whatnot, man, we know what he's going through. We know, been there, done that. We can identify with him. But the goal is not just to identify with Samson's flaws. I hope you understand that. The goal, as we examine his life, is to rise above that. It's to learn from his mistakes and to understand that, yes, there are consequences for sin, but God is a God of grace. And because of his son, Jesus, and his death on the cross, and by forgiveness and through the power of his resurrection, we can live beyond the flaws of Samson. We don't have to be bound by sin and wait to the end of our lives to see the folly of it, like Samson did. So, as I said, sin is never without consequences. And the consequences for Israel's sin was 40 years of oppression by the Philistines. In fact, even before Samson was born, God was basically making it clear that sin always leads to bondage. It always leads to some form of captivity, which is a lesson that Samson never learned until the end of his life. So the Philistine dominance over Israel was the direct result of their sin. They had nobody to blame for verse 1 except for themselves. Now it's interesting that this is the only place in the book of Judges where the people, that is God's people, the Israelites, never cry out to God for help. They never cry out to God for deliverance. Oh, save us. We're tired of being dominated by this enemy here. In fact, it seems the Israelites have become rather apathetic to their sin. And without question, they, they kind of accepted the rule of the Philistines as their lot in life. And I think about that, and it's like, whoa, man, this is frightening. It's frightening how quickly we can become accustomed to bondage of our sin. We can, how quickly we can begin to learn to accept the status quo as kind of our lot in life. But God here, in this story of Judges, 
He desired that someone would rise up from this. He desired that someone would make war against the enemy and not simply coexist with them. This was God's passion for his people here in the book of Judges. His passion was to bring a deliverer to free Israel from the oppression of the Philistines. Which brings us to our second observation. Because of God's grace, a deliverer was about to be born. Now the Philistines, as many of you probably know, were an intimidating bunch. They were artfully skilled in psychological warfare. Even their armor and their battle dress was designed to strike fear in the hearts of their enemies. And this is what they had done with Israel, especially the tribe of Dan, who surrendered their land to the advancing Philistines and retreated to the north. But as we will see, it's out of this tribe of Dan, out of this tribe of the intimidated, that God would raise up an intimidator. Out of the weak would come the strong. Yes, sin has its consequences, but let me tell you, why, one reason why I like the book of Judges here is it is also an incredible commentary on the mercy and grace of God toward his people. We see God's grace at work through the life of Samson. When it says at the end of verse 5, look at it. And he shall begin to deliver Israel out of the hand of the Philistines. Now, did you catch the, the word play here in verse 5 when you compare it to verse 1? Of Judges 13, look at it. In verse 1, because of Israel's sin, what does God do? He delivered them into the hand of the Philistines. But in verse 5, because of God's grace, Samson would begin to deliver Israel out of the hand of the Philistines. Interesting. So what we see in the opening verses of Judges 13 is that the Philistines were God's agents of oppression because of their sin. But because of grace, what we also see in the rest of the chapter here, point number two, is that Samson was God's agent of deliverance. Samson was God's agent of deliverance. Let me tell you, God has a plan. God always has a plan. And in the book of Judges, God has a plan for delivering his people. But to make that plan work, God needed a special couple. And he found that couple in this little village called Zorah, only a few miles from the Philistine border. Most of the other families by now have moved north to safety. They had retreated, but this family stayed put. And let's pick up the story in verse 2. Notice it. Now there was a certain man from Zorah of the family of the Danites, whose name was Manoah. And his wife was barren and had no children. And the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, Indeed, now you are barren and have, no, have borne no children, but you shall conceive and bear a son. Now, therefore, please be careful not to drink wine or similar drink and not to eat any unclean thing. For behold, you shall conceive and bear a son and no razor shall come upon his head. For the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb, and he shall begin to deliver Israel out of the hand of the Philistines. Now, when it comes to the life of Samson, there is one thing that sets him apart, and that is his advantages. 
Samson had a lot of advantages that most of us only dream about. In fact, notice the advantages of Samson's life. He was the man who had it all. He was the man who had it all. As I said, Samson started with advantages that most people can only dream about. In other words, this guy was born for greatness. Even his birth was announced by the angel of the Lord, who was none other than the, than the pre-incarnate Christ in this case. Now, let me ask you, who can claim that on their resume? Yeah, my birth was announced by the angels. Anybody claim that here? Put that on your resume? Listen, only three other people in all the Bible can claim an angelic announcement of their birth. That's Isaac, born to Sarah back in Genesis 16. John the Baptist, born to Elizabeth in Luke chapter 1. And of course, Jesus himself, born to Mary, back in Luke, up in Luke chapter 2. No man in all the Bible started out with as much going for him as Samson did. It could truly be said that he had unlimited potential. You know what they say about potential? Potential is nothing more than unrealized possibility. It's the difference between what you are and what you could be. Reminds me of what Don Meredith used to say on Monday Night Football. Now, I know that's taken some of us way back when Howard Cosell and Don Meredith used to announce the games on Monday nights. And Howard Cosell, sometimes he began to pontificate about some young, great football player and how he had all this potential to be a great football player. And Dandy Don would just sit back, listen, and then he would interject and say, potential is the heaviest burden in life. And how true that is. Potential was a burden that Samson never really learned to deal with. So what advantages did Samson start out with in his life? Well, there are three of them that I want to point out for us here. Number one, Samson started with God-ordained purpose. He started with God-ordained purpose. Samson's purpose in life was crystal clear. He had one purpose and one purpose only, and that was to deliver Israel out of the hand of the Philistines. This purpose was ordained by God. It was communicated by the angel of God even before Samson was born. Now think about it. Most people in this life go through life wondering, what on earth am I here for? Most people go through life never knowing what their purpose is. Always wondering, why am I here? What am I here for? What am I supposed to do? But not Samson. Man, he knew exactly what God wanted him to do in life. There was no question about it. Now, can you imagine someone asking Samson as a kid, hey, hey, Samson, what are you going to do when you grow up? We, we sometimes ask kids that. What are you going to do, Samson? Samson says, oh, I'm going to deliver, deliver our people out of the hands of the Philistines. Yeah, right. Man, they've been terrorizing us for years. Seriously, man, that's what I was born for. I'm a deliverer. I'm going to deliver them out. Now, to seal this God-ordained purpose in Samson's heart, God set him apart as a Nazarite when he was still in his mother's womb. Now, this concept of being a Nazarite, perhaps you've heard of that word. It is somewhat foreign to our thinking, but it was very, very important in those days. The word Nazarite basically means this, to consecrate or to separate yourself. 
And so a Nazarite was someone who consecrated themselves to the Lord through a special vow of separation. You say, well, what what did this vow include? If you go back to Numbers chapter 6, it tells us all about this vow of separation that a Nazarite would take, or a, a person. And it included basically three commitments. Some of them you're familiar with, such as number one, you must abstain from drinking wine or any strong or fermented drink. Number two, you must avoid touching a dead body. And number three, which is what most people are familiar with when it comes to Samson, you must allow your hair to grow and never have it cut. The whole purpose, though, of taking a Nazarite vow was kind of a, to provide a way in which a person could dedicate his or her life to God. These vows were supposed to signify a special degree of, of dedication to God. It was supposed to signify a, 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 a personal holiness unto the Lord. And as we'll see in the weeks to come, this was something sadly lacking in Samson's life. Normally, the Nazarite vow was meant to be temporary. It was meant to be voluntary. You would choose to do this on your own, and you would do it for a limited period of time. But according to verse 7, it tells us, For the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb to the day of his death. Which means in Samson's case, it was ordained by God for him to be a Nazarite all his life. Now, obviously, this was something his parents would have to teach him. He would have to learn all about this, which brings us to Samson's second advantage. First of all, he starts out with this God-ordained purpose in life. But number two, Samson started with God-fearing parents. He started with God-fearing parents. The angel of the Lord appears to Manoah's wife, and let me tell you, this angel comes with some amazing news. The angel tells this unnamed woman who was barren and had no children, hey, you are about to have a baby. Don't drink any wine, don't eat anything unclean, and don't cut his hair when he's born because he's going to be a Nazarite. And by the way, your son will begin to deliver your people from the Philistines. Now, ladies, how would you respond to all this? An angel comes to you, the angel of the Lord nonetheless, and tells you this. Well, Samson's mother must have been a woman of great faith. Because verse 6 says she told her husband all about it. I mean, she is so excited. She even adds, I didn't ask him where he came from and he didn't tell me his name. She's convinced she's seen a man of God whose face was like the angel of God. And since, quote, men of God don't lie, she's convinced she's going to have a baby. So far, so good. Now all eyes shift to the father, Manoah. And clearly, this news from his wife shocks him. He's just a little like, what? What's going on here? A baby? No wine? A Nazarite? And the biggest one of all, he's going to deliver us from the hands of the Philistines? It was a little much to take in, so Manoah decides, listen, I've got to have a talk with this guy, this man of God. And so in verse 8, he says, Oh, Lord, I beg you, let the man of God you sent to us come again to teach us how to bring up the boy who is to be born. Now, in my opinion, I think this response is rather crucial here because it begins to shed light and it begins to tell us something about the parents of Samson. And in my opinion, they are clearly godly parents here. 
They're, they're wanting to do right and raise him. They, they're God-fearing, if you will. There's no doubt in Manoah's prayer. There's no doubt that he's about to be a father, even though his wife has been barren for years. There's no doubt about his son's mission in life. There's no questions over the details. He asked one simple request of this angel of the Lord. Man, please tell us how to raise this son that you're, we're going to have. Teach us. Show us what to do. Tell us what to do. And so the angel comes back and has a conversation with Manoah. And if you read verses 9 through 14, the angel simply repeats to Manoah what he has already told his wife. Now, perhaps Manoah was a little disappointed by that response. We don't know. But what we do know is that the angel wants Manoah to understand something. That this baby is very, very special. God has set him apart before he's even born. God has a, a purpose for him. And God wants to seal that purpose in his heart through a Nazarite vow of separation. And of course, wanting to be a good host, Manoah asks this guest. He doesn't know yet that this is an angel of the Lord. He thinks it's just a man of God, maybe a prophet or someone. He asks him to stay and eat with them. And the angel replies, listen, I can't do that. But if you want, you should offer a burnt offering to God, which would be a sign of their wholehearted devotion to God. And so, of course, Manoah and his wife offer a sacrifice to God. And the Lord did an amazing thing while Manoah and his wife watched. According to verses 19 and 20, as this flame blazed up from the altar, the angel of the Lord ascended into the flame. Let me tell you, this encounter was so awesome. Both of them fell on their faces, scared to death. And then it dawned on them. Then they realized, man, this is the angel of the Lord. And then Manoah says to his wife what we would all say in verse 22, man, we're going to die. We've just seen God. We're going to die. And, Manoah, and Manoah's wife says in verse 23, Honey, how are we going to die? How are we going to have a baby if we die? We're not going to die. Manoah basically says, yeah, you got a good point, wife. Good point. Now, here's the point I want you to understand, though. All those Samson's parents weren't perfect. They were not perfect. They were far from it. In fact, some commentators think Manoah even had some flaws and little, uh, maybe didn't, Father Samson, as much as he should, and put discipline in his life as much as he should, which kind of maybe perhaps led to Samson's undisciplined life. We don't know that. The scriptures are silent on all that. But what we do know, at least from chapter 13, from this interaction with the angel of the Lord, is although Samson's parents were not perfect, let me tell you, they feared God. Verse 24 tells us that finally after nine months, this baby was born and was named Samson. What's interesting, Samson, the name, means sunny. It means little son. And certainly, this long-awaited son brought joy and brought light to Manoah and his wife, who thought they would never have a family. And I'm sure they saw their son's birth as the, the dawning of a new day for the people of God during these dark days of the Philistine oppression. And why not? Man, God just delivered... 
the deliverer. The deliverer was now born, which brings us to Samson's third advantage. Notice that Samson started with God-given power. Judges 13 closes by revealing that even as a young boy, the anointing of God on Samson's life was something special. Look what it says in verses 24 and 25. It says, And the child grew, and the Lord, what? Blessed him. Man, that's what we all want, isn't it? The child grew, and the Lord blessed him. And then catch this. And the Spirit of the Lord began to move upon him at Maniah Dan. And Maniah Dan, that's just a, that literally means the camp, the camp of Dan, this, in which was the staging area for the tribe of Dan to go to war to the Philistines. So you can imagine, Samson's beginning to grow. He's probably a young boy, maybe 12, 13 years old. He doesn't live too far from this camp. And he's wandering around, he's interested, and man, he's going to the staging area where the battle's taking place with the Philistines. And already he's interested in warfare. Already he's intrigued. And it says, and already the Spirit of God began to move on him. Other translations use the word stir him. The issue here is the secret of Samson's great strength was the Nazarite vow. Symbolized by his uncut hair. But the source of that great strength was the Spirit of God. Now here's a question. Perhaps you've wondered this. I certainly have. What did Samson look like? You think he looked like the Hulk? Incredible Hulk? Or do you think he looked like some, well, like me? <laughs> you know, I'm not a big dude. I'm tall, skinny. I mean, he's known for this great strength. And so I've often wondered, what did he look like? And the Bible doesn't tell us if, if Samson's physique was especially different from all the other men or if he simply resembled the big, strong man pictured in the, the Bible story books. My own personal opinion is I think he probably just looked like an average guy because I think God wanted the people of Israel to understand that it wasn't his physical dimensions, his physical stature that gave him his strength. It was the Spirit of God. And when the Spirit of God came upon his life, that's what made him different. That's what set him apart. So my opinion, I don't think he looked like the Incredible Hulk. I don't think he was six foot six, bulging with muscles. It doesn't mean he wasn't in shape, you know, and whatnot. Who knows? Let your imagination go wild. There's nothing wrong with that. Either way, here's the point. Samson started with God-given power that gave him incredible strength to do incredible feats. Now, with all this said in Judges 13, it's kind of the introductory to Samson's life. I hope you can begin to see Samson in better perspective. All that we have learned in Judges 13 is meant to impress upon us that with the fact that here is a man completely prepared to do great things for God. If ever a man should have succeeded in life, let me tell you, it was Samson. If ever a man had it all, it was Samson. If ever a man had all the advantages that one would want, that one needed to fulfill the purpose of God, it was 
Samson. Now, you will never understand the life of Samson until you begin to grasp that fact, this understanding right here. Now, just consider again these advantages Samson started with. He started with God-ordained purpose in life. He knew his mission when he was just a toddler. He started with God-fearing parents to raise him. And he started with God-given power. Samson, let me tell you, it's not just one of the guys who got lucky. He's not just one of the guys who happened to be in the right place at the right time, and so he got the job and got the promotion. No, he was chosen by God before he was born. Samson was set apart for the work of God. And he was strengthened by the Spirit of God. Samson had everything he needed to fulfill his God-ordained purpose as a deliverer. And folks, that's the tragedy of his life. In fact, notice it in your notes. The man who had it all lost it all. The man who had it all lost it all. And that's the tragedy of Samson's life. It seems Samson never appreciated all that God had given him. And so he dillied and he dallied. He went this way. He went that way. He messed around with lesser things. And in the process, he basically frittered his life away. Do you know what this means? Man, it means what happened to Samson can happen to me. It means what happened to Samson can happen to you. It can happen to any of us, especially those of us who are raised in the Christian faith, those of us who have some of the advantages like Samson. Samson's story is told in such great detail so that we might ponder it carefully. And that's what I pray that you will do in the coming weeks. That when we come here on Sunday mornings and when we open up to the book of Judges and we begin to look at his life, that you will take it to heart. You will ponder it, but more than that, you will take heed to the life lessons of this flawed hero. In fact, let's conclude with two life lessons this morning from the flawed hero of Samson. The first life lesson is for parents. For parents. And it's this. Godly parents are no guarantee against children becoming ungodly adults. Godly parents are no guarantee against children becoming ungodly adults. Listen, Samson is exhibit A of this truth. Godly parents, listen to me, do not always produce godly children. Now, we wish it were otherwise, don't we? That somehow that we could guarantee that if you raise your children to follow God, that when they get older, they will never drift away from God. We wish that were the case. But Judges 13 teaches us that Manoah and his wife were godly parents who wanted to raise their son to follow God. And I'm sure they prayed for Samson. I'm sure they taught him about God, taught him about the Nazarite vow of separation, taught him about his purpose and mission in life, taught him the path of righteousness and lived a godly life before him. In other words, they did all the, quote, right things as a parent. And yet Samson went his own way. Let me tell you, it still happens today, doesn't it? And there are many parents 
even today, who are heartbroken, filled with grief because their children have grown up, left the home, and have drifted away from God. Listen, to you parents that are in that situation, that have children like that, let me just encourage you with with two simple thoughts. And the first thought is this. Don't despair. Don't despair. And I know that's easier said than done. And let me tell you, I realize it's coming from a father who is still in the process of raising two boys who are not adults. And even though your children are not following the Lord today, listen, that doesn't mean they can't change tomorrow with the grace of God. Think of it this way. Sometimes the seeds of God's word lie dormant in their hearts for many, many years. And then suddenly they begin to blossom into a harvest of godliness. And let me tell you, that may yet happen to your children, to your kid, your son, or your daughter. So don't despair. The second thought is this, don't blame yourself for the way your children freely choose to live their lives as adults. Listen, you aren't responsible for their choices. No, you weren't perfect. Listen, how many perfect parents do we have? Raise your hand. Anybody perfect? Man, I know I'm not. My boys remind me of that. (laughs) No, there's no perfect parents. And I'm sure that if you could go back and redo some things, you would do some things differently. But understand, God doesn't hold you accountable for the choices that your children make. They have to answer to God for themselves, and they won't be able to point to you and use you as an excuse. So don't despair, and don't blame yourself for the way your children freely choose to live as adults. Now, for all of us, then, here's our second life lesson. It's not how you begin, but how you end that makes the difference. Samson had a great beginning, but oh, how he ended, bounded by sin. But that's the truth that cuts both ways. Maybe some of you didn't start out with such a good beginning. In fact, you're the exact opposite of Samson. But that doesn't matter because it's not how you begin, it's how you end that makes the difference. So take heart. Listen, God is in the business of making all things new. If you want to be forgiven, you can be forgiven right now. If you want to be made new, it can happen right now. If you want a new life, you can have a new life today. It doesn't matter where you started. It doesn't matter how you've been living. God's grace is more than sufficient to forgive us of our sins through our faith in Jesus Christ. Man, we just simply, we need to cry out to Christ with a heart of repentance, and cry out, Lord Jesus, man, I I know I am wrong. I know I have sinned. And I've hit rock bottom. I have no place where to turn. Everywhere I turn is a dead end, but I know you're my hope. And Lord, I need a new heart with a new start. And God will give you a brand new life. He can forgive you and give you the power His power to rise above whatever start and past you may have had. The other side of this truth is for the rest of us who had a, quote, good beginning. Samson's story is in the Bible so that we would take nothing for granted. And even though you may have the advantages of being raised by godly parents, 
Maybe you have attended church almost all your life. Listen, if we are not careful, we can fall just like Samson. As the poet said, of all the sad words of tongue or pen, the saddest are these what might have been. So remember this lesson. It's not how you begin, but how you end that makes the difference. Let's pray. Lord, we come to you this morning. We thank you for your word, the truth of your word. And Lord, we also thank you for the example of Samson and how you have purposely put it in your word for us to learn from, to discover lessons from. And Lord, I pray that that we would take heed and we would take to heart the lessons of Samson. And even this morning, Lord, we would understand that in Christ we do have a God-ordained purpose. Lord, you have given us a purpose as powerful as Samson had. And Lord, maybe some of us had God-fearing parents, maybe some of us didn't. It doesn't matter, but Lord... If we are in Christ, we can also claim that we have your spirit upon us and we can live for you. And so, Lord, help us not to take our lives for granted and the advantages that you have bestowed upon us for granted. Help us to learn in the coming weeks from the life of Samson. We pray these things in your son's name. Amen. Well, let me invite you back next Sunday. We're going to look... Obviously, proceed to chapter 14. We'll begin to look at the marriage of Samson. And uh, I'll be honest with you, not the greatest of marriages to start out with. And, uh, and so we'll learn all about that. In fact, he begins to take some steps that lead to his downfall. And uh, in 14 is kind of where it really blows up in his face. So come back next Sunday, chapter 14. Also, let me just invite you to mark your calendars and take note of our church uh, cookout. On the last Sunday of June, June 27th, 2 o'clock, down at the festival shelter. Always a great time. The church will provide all the meat, the buns, drinks, the dinnerware and what. And we ask that you would bring a, a side dish or a dessert. You don't got to sign up for that, but we do need some help for some people to be grill masters. They'd be willing to uh, get there a little early and uh, grill the hamburgers and hot dogs and bratwurst. And then we also need some people who'd be willing to... Uh, meet down in the kitchen around 1 o'clock and do a little bit of food preparation as far as, you know, like cutting up the uh, tomatoes and the lettuce and onions and stuff like that and then go down there and set up the tables and, and then also help clean up too. So if you'd be willing to help out and serve in any of those capacities, there's a sign-up on the back table, so please take note of that. And uh, I hope you all will, will come and, in fact, invite your friends. Everybody and anybody's welcome to come and participate in our church cookout, always a great time. That's June 27th at 2 o'clock in the afternoon. All right, let's receive our morning offering, and then we'll be dismissed. The God of our salvation set us free. Death, where is thy sting? The curse of sin is broken. The empty tomb stands open. Come and see. He 
He's the land of man. 